0: And I'll just tell you in advance, we're going to end today's time together with uh, just a period of of ministry over ourselves, okay? And uh, I think most of us uh, like receiving from the Lord, and we're going to have a time for that at the end of the service, all right? Adam's spoken several times uh, in the last year about bringing heaven to earth, okay, And he talks to us real often about how the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ here and now. Okay? It's one of those crazy, strange things. It's yet to come, but it's here and now. The rule and reign of Christ here and now. And a lot of us, especially me, have just been fascinated by uh, the model prayer Luke chapter 11, verse 2, where, where Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And there's been a lot of fascination. I, I, maybe it's just been with me. I don't think so. Uh, but we pray that over people who are sick. We approach them and we lay our hands on them and we look in their eyes and we say, there's no cancer in heaven. And so let it be on earth as it is in heaven in your body. And we talk about um, uh, how the scripture says that we're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. Everybody grasp that one. Does everybody understand that well? (laughs) We're already there, but yet we're still going. Does that make sense? Okay, we're already there, but we're still going. So our spirits already abide with Christ in heavenly places. And and really, there's there's a fascination with let, let it be on, uh, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. This thing is getting tangled up on my shoulder. I think our fascination with that is good. It's right. And the reason I think it's good and right is because it's good and right. <laughs> it's truth. We want it to be on earth the same way that it is in heaven. And it's really apropos that we pray that when people are sick, because we're powerless over that, right? I can't, fix, I can't fix your cancer. I can't fix your bunions, you know. I can't do any of those things, but God can. So we say, let it be on earth as it is in heaven in your bunion or whatever the illness might happen to be. I was trying to find something real anemic there because I didn't want to get into anybody's wool, okay? Okay. <laughs> We pray that over people and we leave it to God for Him to do His perfect work. Because after all, He doesn't need our help in that, does He? Or at least we've been told that He doesn't need our help in that. It's God's job restoration of the human body, recreation, as Adam talked about last week, it's God's job. But what if, by chance, we had a role in bringing heaven to earth? What if we had a role in that? It is true, there are no health problems in heaven. But that doesn't paint the entire picture of glory. It's not just a bunch of healthy beings there. When um, Marcus read that passage at the end of our worship today, did anybody else's heart jump when he gave that picture of what's happening in glory? Okay, there, there's elders around the throne and there's living creatures and there's throngs of beings, so many people that they can't even be count, uh, they can't even be counted. And there's angels flashing around. All of that is a part of glory too. But one thing that strikes me, what are, what are all of the people there doing at the same time? They're praising God. They're worshiping. They're honoring his glory. Do you think anyone there is doing that under compulsion? Do you think anyone there has their arm tucked up behind their back? Or anyone there has a gun to their head to cause them to bring glory and honor to God? Well, of course, it's silly. The answer is no. No one does. Why? Because they know who they are in heaven. Everyone understands their identity in heaven. To which I say and I pray and I proclaim over this group, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. How wonderful if we can understand our identity, our calling, and our destiny here that it might match our identity, calling, and destiny to bring glory and honor to God in heaven. So, let me superimpose over that declaration I just made. What is our role in bringing heaven to earth in the realm of knowing our calling and our destiny. I was talking to one person about this about three weeks ago who flippantly said to me, or at least I felt it was flippant. You know, we don't always feel what people's intentions are, but I felt it was flippant who just said, well, I just let the grace of God cover that. I want to talk about that for just a second, all right? (laughs) Titus tells us that in the second chapter, and you notice I'm not having your leaf through your Bibles. I just want to talk with you for a little bit this morning, and then let's pray together, okay? Titus chapter 2, the grace of God is given to us to teach us to say no to ungodliness and to walk out everything that God has planned for us. Most of us have been taught that grace... And, and if you haven't been taught this, you know, I'm glad for you. But most of us have been taught that grace is like this big, fuzzy, neat blanket. And it just, it just covers us up whenever we screw up or something bad happens to us or someone imposes something on us that we just don't think we can bear and 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 so we said, well, I guess the grace of God will cover that. Most of us have been taught, at least we've heard, you know, hundred thousand times growing up, that you know the uh, you picture the drunk in the gutter, and what you know you picture the drunk in the gutter, and what have we all been taught about that? But by the grace of God, that be me. Am I the only guy that's heard that? <laughs> that's what we've been taught. Okay, and this morning, I really just want to reject that thought. I know we've been raised with it, (laughs) but let's set that aside. I don't think it's true. Here's what I believe. I believe that grace is by design. Okay, let me read a passage from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for you. This is about, this is the Apostle Paul. Anybody think he was walking in his calling, destiny, identity? Okay, He says, but by the grace of God, and then he quotes Popeye, I am what I am, <laughs> and his grace did not prove vain for me, but I labored even more than all of them, but not I, but just the grace of God in me. Okay, I want to say that grace is by design. It is designed, and this you might want to jot this down. I think this is important. I think this came by revelation, okay? Grace is designed to enhance, enlarge, and elaborate the call on your life to a holy and righteous destiny that God's placed in us even before we were born. Now, the Apostle Paul What was he doing before he got knocked off his uh, donkey? (laughs) What was he doing before that? He was successfully persecuting Christianity, right? He was having some success at it, right? He had the laud of all of his Jewish constituents, favor of men. Okay, I'm guessing, and I don't think this is a wild guess, he was probably being supported financially to do what he was doing. He was walking in what some people would call a calling. And when God came into his life, when Jesus introduced himself to Paul, Paul learned his true identity. He learned his real calling, and he began walking in that. Did he receive the favor of men? (laughs) Not so much. Here's one. He came to Jesus, and his life just became a a bowl of cherries, right? No. He came to Jesus, and he developed a whole new skill set, He was doing the same skill set that he did when he was persecuting Christianity. That was revelatory for me. I don't know about you. But the Apostle Paul, who we love, honor, adore, read his epistles all the time. I was raised with the thought that an epistle is the wife of an apostle, but that's really not true. (laughs) Okay, when he came to Jesus, he used his same skill set. But he used it within the construct of his real identity in Christ. It's possible to have a skill set that can bring you some success in this world and that skill set not be given over to Jesus Christ because you're not walking in the fullness of your identity, that identity that's already been outlined in heaven. Grace is, let me just give a few little definitions of it, okay? Grace is divine appointments. Favor with the public, it can be. Grace can be favor with banks. It can be the ability to, sh- to shun the very appearance of evil. And it can be a thousand other things as it relates to your calling and eventually to your destiny. Grace is by design to reveal the fullness of our identity. You learn your identity by revelation from God. We go before him. Now, uh, a small little offshoot here. Aptitude doesn't always mean calling. Aptitude can mean calling, but it doesn't always mean calling. Okay? We learn our identity in Jesus by revelation. Okay. Grace grace actually builds boundaries of our identity. When we're walking in our identity, the things that God has planned for us, grace becomes activated in our life. Okay? You're walking in your identity and a good thing happens that produces fruit for the kingdom of God. Now I'm not necessarily saying that you get a bank error in your favor, all right? But what does happen is that you do something that produces fruit in the kingdom of heaven, all right? That, that's a boundary. You do something else really good and all of a sudden it falls on its face, okay? You've stepped outside of that grace. That doesn't mean it was an evil thing, but it's outside of the identity of your calling, okay? We learn our calling by revelation. We hear from God. We get insight in our hearts from the Holy Spirit. And then as we see the grace activated in our life, we learn the boundaries of that calling. Now, it's possible, it's possible to really define your own identity. Some people just go, well, I hope I'm serving God. Okay, I want to tell you, you can define your own calling. But then you have to use choices on how you're going to use, and I'm going to use the term, those skills. God never takes our choices away from us. Okay? Grace is the marker on the road that tells us we're moving in the right direction or that we need to make a course correction. Grace can cause us to make a course correction too. Grace highlights our calling by uncovering our identity. Which is another way, I think, of saying grace names us. Grace names us. Who wants to walk in the fullness of their own identity? Yeah, yeah. Who wants to struggle the rest of their life and stumble and strut and figure it out? Okay. That's where the larger part of the kingdom of God's church abides, trying to figure out who they are. Let me give an example of of, uh, the grace of God beginning to define someone. My son-in-law, Justin, it is virtually impossible not to absolutely love everything about Justin Lin. Okay. One of the sweetest uh, men that God ever created is Justin, okay? Most of you know that Justin roasts coffee. He cares for our vineyards, and he has a construction business too, okay? Construction business often is done outside. It's taken Justin several years to learn the boundaries of God's grace in that. And I'm going to use just one little specific thing. Did you know that Justin has authority over up to 60% chance of rain? <laughs> it's, just, it's just something that over time he's been able to identify in his call. Now... If there's 70% chance of rain, he probably won't schedule work outside that day. But if there's 60%, he can pray, and God will grant that. that. And that seems really small and really silly, but we have to learn the boundaries of where God's placed us, the authority he's given, the anointing that he's put on us, and begin to walk and operate in that. What I've tried to do the last four or five minutes is just really try to Stir up a hunger for you to know your identity. is that working? Yeah. okay that, that's what I 'm trying to do <laughs> without telling you. Of course, I just told you so. We need to know who we are. Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, He was baptized of John in the River Jordan, correct? <laughs> Isn't it funny how our, our you know us old people, we go to that archaic speech. Baptized of John in the River Jordan, you know. <laughs> I don't think they'd ever say it this, that way these days. But. And after his baptism, we know that the voice came out of heaven. The Holy Spirit presented itself upon him as a dove and stayed with him. Oh, that's awesome. And the voice from his father said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus got the affirmation of his father on his identity before he began a ministry, all right? Let me take a little bit out of the pain, a little bit of the pain off of some of you younger people in the room. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, the son of God, he didn't do anything till he was 30. And, and, and I know a lot of you struggle at 20 and 22 and 23 and 25 and, and going, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do with my life, okay? Let me, just, let me just give a fatherly little blanket over you today. It's okay. It's okay. All right? As long as we're searching out the identity of, that God has for us. Now I'm going to move just a, a little bit sideways and talk about our identity, how, how we drive ourselves, how we choose that identity, how we walk in that identity with power. Over in Mark 15, and you don't need to t- turn there because I'm, I'm not going to read this extended passage. In Mark 15, verses 16 through 39, that's the story of the pa- what we call the passion of the Christ, okay? Okay? Uh, The Suffering of Christ. I think it's a well-known story. Most of us know it inside and out. And if we don't know uh, from reading in the scripture, I'm sure everybody's seen the movie. (laughs) What drove the passion that Jesus had to walk in his identity and calling? What drove that passion? What drives passion in you? If the answer is not, I think it should be choice. The choices that you make. That drives passion. Jesus did not stumble onto the cross. It was no accident. Jesus did not get tricked into self-sacrifice. He made a choice. Do you think he made it when he was laying there with his arms stretched out? No, he made the choice three and a half years earlier. And because he was passionate about the choice that he made, he was willing to pay whatever price came along with that choice. Scripture records for us, no one takes my life from me. In Matthew 20, Jesus gives his life for a ransom. And in John 10, a shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Jesus determined early, That he would do whatever it takes to fulfill his destiny, his calling, and to walk in his identity. Even if it killed him. And heres he even knew that in advance. He knew that in advance. But I want us to understand that choice was never, ever, ever withdrawn from Jesus. Choice caused him to suffer the insufferable. He'd set his mind and his heart on his purpose. His purpose was Messiahship. And that choice drove his passion. I think we could probably say that Jesus burned the bridges to violating his ultimate choice. There was no looking back. He didn't back down. He didn't go sideways. He didn't falter. He followed through and he suffered and he suffered and he suffered for us. So what does that kind of passion mean? look like for us first of all let me, let me address and this will just take 10 seconds one little erroneous teaching I think that's kind of uh, filled the, it definitely filled the 20th century church and it's crept into the 21st century church some too and I'm really radically opposed to the idea that come to Jesus pray about it, it'll be okay and the reason I'm opposed with that is because it's just not true it's just not true. There is no scriptural evidence of that. that come to Jesus, pray about it, and it will be all right. Jesus followed. Anyone, anyone think, is there any part of anybody's mind that thinks that Jesus didn't follow the pathway that God put before him? He followed that pathway exactly. And look what it got him. Uh, we talked about Paul a minute ago passionately opposing christianity the praise of all the jewish people received a call from jesus became passionate toward that call led you know hundreds thousands of people to jesus established churches in most of the known world he taught and he discipled and he worked and he gave and in this life he suffered the suffering was directly linked to his heart's desire Now, when David talks about God granting the desires of our heart, I really think, again, it's just like with grace. If that desire is within the identity that he's established for you, if that desire is within the calling that's on your life, you can guarantee he'll grant it. If it's a flippant (laughs) desire, Useless to the kingdom of God thing, he may help you work it out, but I don't think he'll just grant it. He may help you work it out. He may teach you to save and prepare and so forth. But as far as just granting the desires of your heart, I really think that's in the same realm as grace. That those things that are within our identity, our calling, and our destiny, those are the things that he feeds. Okay? God is a steward. He's a better steward than any of us. God tries to grow his kingdom. And I don't think that he wastes his own resources. I think he teaches us how to use ours on things that fall outside of our calling if we need those. All right, God's call sometimes includes suffering. It often includes suffering. For some people, it always includes suffering but it's all productive for the kingdom of God. I like the way David said it. And when Chris Lizotte came out with this song 10 or 12 years ago, it broke my heart. It said, though you slay me, I will trust you, Lord. Though you slay me, I'll trust you. So here's the question that we're going to pose. How do we develop a willingness to suffer, to exercise our choices, to be true to our identity and our call our destiny. How is it that we develop a willingness to suffer? Okay, that messes with my mind. How do we develop a willingness to suffer to be true to our identity? Number one, you have to understand your call. Understand your identity in Christ. A call is not a good idea. A call is an inescapable draw on your life, on your resources, on your education. If you wonder about your call, you need to pray, you need to ask friends, you look for the inner light, and we're actually going to pray about that at the end of the service, okay? If you, in order to develop a willingness to suffer, though, you have to understand your call, okay? Number two. In order to develop a willingness to suffer, to exercise choice, to be true to our call, you have to focus on your call. There's a business principle that's just as powerful spiritually as well. You will be a, you'll be successful at whatever you focus on doing. You will be successful at whatever you focus on accomplishing Number three, in order to develop develop a willingness to suffer, to exercise choice, to be true to our call, we have to know going in that pain, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, social, relational, pain is not an indicator that you've chosen wrong. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. I really want you to take this one home. Pain, whether it be physical, emotional, financial, social, or relational, is not, and maybe I should parenthetically say necessarily, pain is not an indicator that you've chosen wrong. Sometimes it's a part of the path. So I say stay the course. If you understand your identity in Christ, you have a charge to keep, I think as they say politically, right, or, or in the military, I like what Wellington said. Anybody that's been around me more than a half an hour has probably heard me say that. Do that duty that lies closest to thee and your next one will be revealed. Do that thing that lies right in front of you. And then a little poem that, if you've been with me, 45 minutes you've heard. Slept and dreamt that life was beauty but woke to find that it was duty at times. Duty. Duty. Have any of you heard that for the 10,000th time probably? <laughs> yeah. I actually quote that one in my sleep. <laughs> Life is not all duty, but it's some duty. Sometimes you just have to wake up and face the music and go, this is what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do it if it kills me. And there may be some in here that it does. Faithfulness to your call, faithfulness to your identity, it may elicit pain. And I can say this, it will certainly require sacrifice. Some call that quality, and I love this word, although I don't use it often enough. Some call this quality truculence. (laughs) Doesn't that come off your tongue nicely? What was, the, what was the name that, uh, that uh, the elf uh, loved so well? He just rolled off his tongue so nicely. Okay. Truculence, I think, just rolls off your tongue really nicely. And that is the disposition to fight fiercely. Okay. It's cowboy up on steroids. All <laughs> right. It's really putting yourself to the task and not backing down. Arnold Schwarzenegger has been in the news a whole bunch lately. And we always giggle, I think, when... uh, Anybody over 50 probably remember he was the Austrian Oak. (laughs) You know, when when he was Mr. Olympia, the Austrian Oak. Uh, Anybody believe that he was elected governor of California because he had this visionary roadmap for the Golden State? (laughs) No, no. He was was a two-term governor of California... Because he convinced the citizens of that state that he was sufficiently truculent to change the way things had always been. Okay? It's that kind of truculence, passion, is what I'm directing us toward. Though you slay me, David said, I will trust you, Lord. And so we arrive now at a place where we pursue the Lord's voice, His call on us, our understanding of, us, of our identity in Him. And I understand that in a crowd this size, there are some people here who maybe are victims of other people's choices, not recipients of the blessings that they should receive. Okay? Let me repeat that in case that might be you. Some of you perhaps are not walking in your identity Because you feel like, or maybe really are, victims of other people's choices instead of the recipient of the blessing of your own choice. And that is actually the third thing that we're going to pray about this morning when we minister as a congregation. That's where we're going to focus today, on three areas. And and if the uh, people who we've asked to minister will come forward, which I know is Justin and Candace and who else? Okay. We're going to pray primarily about three areas this morning because I want you to leave here with something, okay? The first area, and you don't have to be a child, and then you don't have to, you know, you might be 79 years old. It's okay either way. If you don't understand your call, we want to pray with you for the Lord to make that call clear in your life. If you don't understand the direction that you need to be walking, let's pray about it and see if God will give revelation and then establish boundaries by grace so that you can walk in that identity and that call. That's the first group. The second group is this. You think you know your call, but you're just having trouble focusing on it. Does that, does that fit anybody here? Okay. You just can't stay the course. We want to pray with you this morning and see what's in the way, see why you're having trouble focusing on the call, identity, and destiny that you have in Jesus. And then the third group that we're going to pray for this morning are the last ones I mentioned if you feel like you cannot follow your call because of someone else's choices over you, then let's get, let's get God's opinion on the matter, okay? I'm sure he has an opinion. He has an opinion about everything. Even though I'm sure he wasn't Italian, but <laughs> he has an opinion about everything. And if there's something in the way, if you feel like you're a victim of, of someone else's choices, and that's interfere with your call. We want, we really want to find out what God has to tell you about that. So, are you game for that this morning? All right. We're going to stand together.